0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes of President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sagelski. And today, we have a very unconventional guest. His name is Alec Bruski. He's the number one account executive over at TowerPoint. And get this, his job is not to sell, but to buy people's properties that have cell towers on them. Crazy sales tactics in this episode. Why should people listen? Armand, we've
1: spent a lot of time on this show talking about objection handling techniques. And Alex is the first person who is intentionally asking for objections. You got to listen to him. Three, two, one, pick up the phone.
0: And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-minute masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by Rocket Reach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts. Again, yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: All right, Alex, welcome to the show. You know we start every episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three.
2: All right. Number one, buy with one click. What this means is when you're talking to a prospect who's ready to do the deal, there's no need in extending the process any longer help that person get back to their day, get their time back, close the deal. And for someone working an enterprise deal, large complex sale may not mean the same thing. What you may be looking at is asking that question right away that you would normally say for a discovery call. Don't elongate the process for your prospects. Number two, encourage disqualification. And I use encourage here purposely because of two particular reasons. It's going to psychologically draw you to that person based on their vulnerability, or you're going to actually finally get the real objection that's holding them back. And last, number three, answer the question in as little words as possible. Self-explanatory.
1: So Alex, my question there, because something I've been taught as a salesperson is to never skip steps. If someone wants to get right to the demo, I got to do a little bit of discovery first, right? So how do you balance moving a prospect efficiently through the sales cycle while also doing your job to make sure you actually close
2: the deal? What's key here is gonna be your question asking, because there are gonna be people that are gonna fall into two buckets. There are people that are gonna want you to play your hand as quickly as possible, right? And they're trying to get you to do that purposely, And there are the people that genuinely have maybe done research on your company, are aware of what you offer, are already interested in your offering. And so what that may look like is, hey, yeah, I don't want to show you anything that you don't want to see or or waste your time. I mean, what what was it that you were hoping to move forward with? So when else are you
1: doing that in the process? Like, you're negotiating, you're, you're showing a demo, when else are you cutting out the fluff and the stuff the customer doesn't need or the prospect doesn't need
2: to accelerate the deal? The shorter the process you can start from the initial outreach, the more quickly you're going to build trust. If you're holding things back from your prospects purposely to keep them engaged, keep them interested, they're, they're going to feel that. We live in a very transparent society. Everything's out there on Google. Everything's out there on G2, on, on Yelp. What this may even look like, let's just say for someone who's even working more of an enterprise deal, if you've got your big question at the end of your discovery process that really lets you kind of know right away, hey, if this person is not receptive to this idea, they're going to reject this question. And don't be afraid to ask that right away. There's no need in being worried to spoil the deal when in reality, the person on the other side of the phone is milking every single second out of their day that they can to be efficient.
1: So, okay, let's go back to this building trust thing because you do this really effectively. And I think it has something to do with your somewhat unconventional stance around disqualification and pushing the customer respectfully away. Can you talk about what that looks like and why that ends up building trust and a better
2: relationship? People are going to do what they're incentivized to do, no matter what industry, no matter what person. So we need to be cognizant of that when we're on the phone with people and know how is this person incentivized? Because no matter what, that's likely the way that person's going to lean regardless. And so when you're making the perspective of your conversations, this is what you can do for your company. This is how much money you want for your cell tower. Um, If you want to do this 1031 exchange, where would you be looking to put the funds? Not this is what we do, these are the specialties that we provide, these are the sorts of customers that we work very well with, you're, you're losing the person on the other end of the phone. All they're thinking is what's in it for me.
0: And one of the things that I've heard in your value prop, I want to dig into it, is um, you're so like cut and dry this is what the hell we do and like why we solve it. At Carta, I hear it all the time where people will be like, we uh, automate and centralize as one source of truth, everything related to your equity. And it's like, guys, stop. You need valuation after you raise round. It is free. That's it. Super simple. So can you walk us through like your cut and dry, simple
2: value prop when you're on the phones? One thing every single salesperson needs to know how to do is is describe what they and their company do in one sentence and encompass everything that you do. Because this goes back to the transparency age that we're in. Any information is already accessible out there. No matter what industry you're in, you're basically always going to have competitors. And so are you going to hide behind that and pretend that it doesn't exist or are you going to confront that elephant in the black room right away? And Armand, I've even heard you say this. These people are going to have a negative thought in their head either way. Why don't we narrate that for them? as opposed to letting them come to their own conclusion.
1: So the best litmus test, if you're a new salesperson, you're at a new company, is like, try to explain to your grandmother what your company does. And if she doesn't get it, you probably need to dumb things down a little bit. Because your customers are getting bombarded with vendors calling, emailing, texting, LinkedIn message saying that they're optimizing and centralizing and maximizing and forward thinking, cutting edge tech. And they're like, I don't know what this actually means.
2: It kills me. We've got a little bit of uh, hype fatigue, right? Everyone's got the newest and the latest and the best. And what you actually find is when you're willing to talk about where you're vulnerable and you find that you can tell people up front, hey, these are maybe some of our shortcomings, then those people are going to be so much more drawn to you because it's out there. (laughs) The information's going to get found out regardless. And and this also goes on the tangent I was going to start earlier is that when I was first starting in sales, I would try to get through my sales process, tiptoeing right on the marble floor to not rise any skepticism, right? Or like do my best to like not draw out an objection. And what I found is that at the end of the sales process, that was a lot of ghostings, right? That was a lot of people crashing last minute, a lot of lost opportunities. So these people are thinking about what they're doing deepest objection is no matter what we have to say. So why are we going to let them come up with their own fears of our products when we're the master of it? We should be able to know everything we do inside and out, whether that be good or bad. So Alex sells, he actually
0: technically doesn't sell. He buys land from people who own houses and he wants to like, use their cell tower, right? So you're calling people who own land that has a, have cell towers on them and you're basically calling them up and saying like, hey, I want to buy your land. This is how much I'm going to pay you. Do you want it? Et cetera, right? And so you call me up, right? You're like, hey, you own this property in Texas. You have a cell tower on your land. I want to pay you 200 grand, right? I give you some sort of objections. What types of questions are you actually asking me from there to figure out if I'm just a tire kicker? or if you legitimately have a, a selling opportunity here?
2: So first off is you want to take small steps, like almost a uh, wide to narrow questioning. So you wanna make sure that when you are answering important questions that you've captured their full attention first, that it's not a part of the conversation where they're drifting off here, they're drifting off there. And so for me, what it may look like is, hey, when you purchased this property, was the tower sitting there? already? Or is is this a, an original lease that you negotiated yourself? And now what I'm going to get there is people are either going to say, hey, this tower's been in my family for 50 years, right? We don't want to do anything with it. Perfect. Have a great day. If anything changes, here's my number, right? Or if someone says, hey, I bought this property five years ago, this tower thing is cool. I like the income, but it's, it's just kind of there, right? Now I can start to ask a few more questions around what's your knowledge of it, right? Have you ever had anybody review your lease? And so I think if you, you wanna put a, a bow on that, it's clarifying questions. So clarify that they're actually asking what they're telling you, because they may be asking you X because they wanna know Y. So what's the real question? What's the real thing they're trying to find out from you? And most importantly for a seller, what's the thing that makes people want to do business with you?
1: Okay, so Alex, I want to talk a little bit about prospecting because the way that we first met and the reason you're on this show is kind of because you prospected me. We had a really good call and then you ended up, we had a good discovery call, whatever you want to call it. And I realized you were really good and you came on the show. And one of the things we first talked about and the first call you and I ever had is... You are setting yourself apart at your org simply because of your prospecting. And I want to hear a little bit about some of the things that you're doing from a prospecting, cold calling, cold emailing perspective that you think have made you particularly effective.
2: So the overall theme here is going to be simplification. Simplify your cold calls, simplify your emails, simplify your voicemails. So let's start off with a call. Nearly every single cold call, my approaches, hi, my name, my company, and then I say what we do in one sentence or less.
1: So you cold called me, I pick up, hey, this is Nick.
2: Yeah, Nick, hey, what's up? It's uh, Alex out of Tower Point. I was calling uh, about your property in uh, in Houston, got a cell tower lease out there. It uh, looks like here, it's uh, right over at the intersection of, uh, of Brown and and First. I'm in the right place for that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I own that place me and my buddy Armand bought it last year.
2: Okay, perfect. Um, So we at TowerPoint are actually nationwide sell site lease investors. So we purchase interest into these sorts of lease contracts. Have you ever had someone actually take the time, give you a formal valuation, even walk you through this opportunity to begin with?
1: Beautiful. So yeah, I see what you're doing. You're simplifying it really quick. You haven't used the word optimize once. And so I'm actually leaning in and saying, okay, I at least get what this guy does. So, okay. That messaging is simplified. What are you saying in an email?
2: My emails could not be any more simple. I cannot remember the last cold email. And this is key here, cold, right? Your first outreach. I can't remember the last cold email I sent longer than three or four sentences. My structure is very simple. It is subject line, address, hash, The person's name, which is a very underutilized skill in the subject line. Put a hash mark in the person's name. Try it today. In the body, Nick, I was passed in your direction about a tower at this address. Am I in the right place? Please confirm yes or no either way. Done. And now the goal here, right? What we have to remember as salespeople is that our number one goal in outreach before anything else is to get a response. If you don't get a response, you cannot do anything with that. So for someone out there thinking to themselves, hey, you showed all your cards. Why would you do that? You're going to get a no. Well, that no, someone sent me. I'm going to get their cell phone number in the signature line of the email. I can call them up and they, they may be interested. Who knows? Secondly, I can quickly disqualify that person if they send me back a paragraph and tell me to go screw off. Cool. I'll, I'll take you off the list. Or number three, right? You can always catch that person that has that intrigue. And then you're, you're in the position of power.
0: Well, one thing to say is, uh, so I was looking at my inbox the other day, and I saw the name of my property. Nick and I invest in real estate together and Dash Armand in my inbox. And I was like, what the f- is this? And I opened it. And it was freaking Alex sending me a test email. <laughs> and that's how we got onto the freaking podcast as he freaking sent me that email. And I was like, what the hell is this? And then I started reading it. I was like, wait, at the bottom of this, like cell tower email, he's asking me to be on the podcast. And then it all started to make sense. And so it works guys. It really caught my eye. So anyways, Alex, you can keep going, man.
2: Yeah. How, uh, how, how do you not open that email? I, I, guess is, uh, I guess is the better question. And here's a cool one too, because I've recently changed my stance on this a bit, is voicemails. Cold outreach, I leave a voicemail every single time. If it's a later stage deal and you don't need to leave a voicemail, that's different. But cold outreach, I'm leaving an email every time. Rarely is it longer than 10 seconds. Hey, it's Alex. TowerPoint calling about the tower at this address, give me a call back. And I'll keep going with this, in some emails here and there, right? But every single time, I'm not changing that voicemail script, and here's why. The approach is, is I expect you to call me back. I expect you to call me back. I don't care if I have to leave 10 voicemails, 15 voicemails, five voicemails, hey, it's Alex calling about the tower, hit me back when you get this. Almost every time when I do eventually get that person on the phone who I've left 10, 15 voicemails to, they know me. Hey, Alex, I've been so busy, this and that, right? 2020, COVID, whatever. Totally understand. Hey, I was calling about the tower, right? And now you're back right into a conversation.
1: So this kind of goes aligned with the the philosophy you've talked about, which is weaponizing your prospecting or weaponizing
2: your outreach. And I think it's really interesting, your philosophy on this. Can you tell us what that means? This is the mindset that as a salesperson, we do not want to waste our time reaching out to people that aren't interested. So weaponizing your outreach is another way of encouraging disqualification. You call somebody up, hey, oh man, it's, uh, it's not a bad time, Alex give me a call back in two weeks. Well, hey man, look, is it actually a bad time? Like, Or, or are you just really not interested? You're, you're not going to hurt my feelings at all. And I don't want to be making these calls anyway. Shut up. Another situation. Let's say, Nick, you've got a cell tower on your property in Houston. You sold the property a couple years ago. I call you up, hey, it's Alex at a tower point calling about your uh, cell tower in Houston. Now keep in mind, Nick doesn't own this property. He hasn't for a couple years his immediate thought is, let me get this guy off the phone as quickly as possible. So what I'll do is I'll say something like, hey, wait, b- before you hang up on me, if you hang up and I don't get a new number to put in here, someone from my company is going to be calling you in the future. And I know that you don't want that. You have someone's information here that I could put in instead. Works every time.
1: It's actually really customer centric. And it sounds like it isn't right. It's weaponizing your outreach. And the first time I heard I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like, we talked about the double dial with Ken Amar and I was a little bit worried because I'm like, ah, that's not super customer centric. I was like weaponizing outreach. That sounds like a quadruple dial or something. But actually what you're doing is you're like, look, man, like, I don't want somebody from my company to blow you up with a bunch of cold calls anymore. Can you tell me who I should actually be calling? Who'd you sell it to? Like I do that a lot now when I'm trying to get competitive Intel, when a customer says, oh yeah, we're not interested. We're using a competitor. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I appreciate letting me know that. Would you mind letting me know who you're using? And the reason I ask is so I can put that in our CRM so we know not to bug you anymore. And oftentimes they'll tell me somebody that I know, like my company replaces a lot when we're selling our ERP system. So I'm leveraging that, hey, don't want to bug you to turning it into something that I can actually use in the future to help them.
2: Right. And this all goes back to removing the friction, right? We always have to remember that the person on the other end of the phone is trying to milk every second out of their day to do their job. They don't care about us. They don't care about our phone calls. And so if you need to get uncomfortable and let them know right away, get that quick no. Right? Because let's say you have that person that's on the fence, right? I I call a tower guy. He's been on the fence for years. He gets bombarded. It's a little bit overwhelming, right? And I call him up and I'll say something like, hey, maybe doing the deal isn't right for you. It's right for some people. Maybe it's just not right for everyone. You know, Alex, you know what it's been this whole time? And then they'll give you the realness. So, weaponizing your outreach, here's the approach you don't want to waste your time making phone calls to someone who's not interested. Your prospect doesn't want their time wasted. You have a mutual incentive to either move towards a deal as efficiently as possible or get off the phone as quickly as possible.
0: You're hitting on a piece of negotiation almost. And you were telling us a funny negotiation story before this too, where you started talking about your commissions and all that. And so you're, you're being so blunt and direct Now that we've gotten off of prospecting, when you're negotiating a deal, how are you using those same types of tactics?
2: So here's an example. I was working with a gentleman. He was dead set on cashing in $200,000 for his tower. Market rate says $175,000. We don't pull numbers out of hats for our valuations. They're very strictly based on purchase multiples. And so I've actually been working with this guy back since March. So I actually did walk away for multiple months recently got back on track with him and what he told me was Alex I'm going to hold on until you you get to my 200,000 figure which was entirely off the table. So then what I said is look, we're talking about a really really small gap here that we're trying to bridge, right? The rent is $900. So a full year's of rent is adding about $10,000 to your purchase price, right? So Tier 1 towers are trading at 15 times In this circumstance, we're able to push it all the way up to 17 times for specific circumstances that fortunately for you are met in this case, but there's no more room than that. I'm at the point where I'm barely even making 1% on the deal. It's so razor tight. And a response to that was, oh, okay, so I am really getting the most money possible. Yes, you are getting the most money possible. Um... About to be doing this for for charity if you uh, if you negotiate me up any higher, right?
0: <laughs> so Nick and I uh, used to run a vending machine company, and I don't know if you remember this one, Nick, but we would negotiate the heck out of our vending machine manufacturers. And it got to the point where this guy was so fed up with me, he's like, "Dude, I can't even take you my wife to Chili's with the amount of commission that I'm gonna make on this freaking deal." All right, so you're either gonna take it or you're gonna go to China and have them make a machine for you. And I was like,
2: "All right, shit, man." <laughs> i'll take the deal from you
1: yeah he loved us
2: over there that guy really loved us armand isn't that what we all want though don't don't we all just want a fair deal
1: i just want a blooming onion man i just want a blooming onion at chilies.
2: i i don't even know if i'm going to be able to afford one if we if we keep these these negotiations
0: up Alrighty, guys we have gotten every episode in the world about handling objections but alex has done the opposite he's inviting the objections And so we talked about a lot of good habits, man. But let's talk about some bad ones. One bad one that every rep's got to break. What is it?
2: Stop answering the tough question for your prospects. When you ask the tough question, shut up, make them answer it. All righty, guys. Everybody shut up. Do you need to plug anything before we jump off? Follow me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Looking forward to hearing from everybody.
0: Alrighty, folks, everybody hang on. 60 second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipe Drive, which is a CRM
1: built by sellers
0: Your top four takeaways from the episode with Alex Bruski include, number one, use as few words as possible when answering a question. Number two, don't be afraid to walk away from a deal. It's okay to tell a customer, hey, like, dude, this might not make sense for you. Number three, stop tiptoeing around your discovery. Ask your biggest disqualifying questions first, and don't be afraid to do it. Shut up. And then lastly, my personal favorite, number four, when somebody says, call me in six months, you can say, Hey, it's okay to say no, Nick. And honestly, I don't want to be making these calls anyway. Nick, why should people help us out? Or how should they help us out, rather? Whoa! How should they help us out? Well, look,
1: this week I want a review. I'm going straight to it. Short words. No, I'm rambling. Please give me a review and write a really nice thing about the show. Thanks, guys.